Some years ago now, when I, some of you guys know that I was in tech for quite a while uh, before moving over to being a member of the clergy. Uh, but part of that was my first sales management position. Uh, I was getting together with a colleague who was also sort of a junior sales manager. And I'd admire this guy. His name is Tom. And I, I looked at how he ran his team and how he's encouraging and the results that he was getting. And I thought, this guy knows what he's doing. Like, he's a good guy to hang out with. So one day we got lunch, and I'm talking to him and just sort of saying, expressing some admiration for what I was seeing. And he said, oh, that's good to know. You may not know that I was actually fired from my previous two jobs. Like, well, that, that got my attention, so tell me more. And what he said was, I was doing what I thought was good enough. And obviously they disagreed. I wasn't meeting the goals that they had in the first job, and so they let me go. And then I thought, you know what, I was just in the wrong company. So I went to another company, and I did the same thing, and that didn't pan out. So pretty soon, I discovered that it's not necessarily the company or the assignment, it's actually me. And so he began to make adjustments. He began to change his understanding and his mind about what was really going on. He began to realize that if he was going to actually get the results he wanted, advance in the career that he had chosen, he needed to do some different things. And so he did. By the time I met him, he'd actually been doing them quite well. So I tell that because this is the story. This is a, the parable that Cindy just read. And the, in our reading, if, if, you're, if you've looked ahead in the Sunday, this Sunday and Sundays going forward, the lectionary readings have us in the Gospel of Matthew going through the parables of Jesus Christ. And parables are marvelous. They're a brilliant, strategic, wonderful idea that the Holy Spirit has put uh, into the, he and the Lord and the Father all conspiring to teach us things that we need to know that because we're human and naturally defensive, we might put up a defensive shield because we don't want to be talked to. We don't want to be uh, confronted necessarily. So parables are ways to get us involved in the story without feeling directly uh, attacked or directly a challenge. We can hear about other people being challenged, and we can see what God is saying to them, and maybe if we have ears to hear, we'll apply it to ourselves. This is what's going on in this parable of the two sons. So today we're looking at two sons. The first one, the father says to him, go into the field. He commands him. He says, go. Uh, the father went to the, the first son and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. And the uh, well, sorry, he goes to the first son and says, go and work today in the vineyard. The son says, I will not. But later he changed his mind and he went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, well, sir, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two sons did what his father wanted? And of course, Jesus is talking to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And they get it because it's a parable. They don't realize it's about them yet. And they said the first son did what the father asked. The one who initially refused, but then later said, I will go. And then Jesus tells them essentially what their parable means. He said, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. 
what the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So the thing to understand about parables is typically they're about one thing. What is the one thing that this parable is about? It is about the necessity of repentance. That the only way to truly understand and, and be connected to the Father is to repent of the ways that we have that draw us away from the Father. The Father calls us to life. But if we are doing our own thing in our own way, for our own reasons, in our own time, we have pulled away from that life. And so when we think of repentance, I don't know, when you think of repentance, when I think of repentance, oftentimes it, it's it presented in a judgmental mode, kind of repent or die, repent or perish. Maybe some of you are old enough to see people with street signs that really were such people. They had stuff that would say, repent, time is at hand. There's almost always a condemnation, a judgment that, went, that was implicit in that. And in, in one sense, this is a parable about judgment. Jesus is not trying to sugarcoat anything. He is trying to tell those that should have known better, the original sons who said to Jesus, who said to their heavenly father, I will go. I will go and take care of your people. I will be your minister to them. I will make sure that they have be right with you through sacrifice. I will do that. And yet they do not do that because they have used their position for their own self, selfish ends and selfish gains. We know that the Pharisees, the teachers of the law were rich. We know that they wanted to use their position for their own social standing. But the ones that initially said, no, I won't go, are the ones who would be on the moral margins of that society. Jesus identifies two such categories of folks, tax collectors, who are essentially collaborators with the Romans, who are essentially using their fellow Jews to extract money. It was essentially an extortion racket at some real level. And prostitutes who are morally that were not in any way using the good grace of, of covenantal, uh, the way that God intended bodies to be used, they're using them for profit as well. These are two people that would be easily identified in that society. And yet they are reaching the kingdom of heaven before those that should know better. Why are they doing that? How are they doing that? Well, they're repenting. And so if, you, if, if, if there's a sense of knowing Christ if you can say, Lord, thank you. Maybe you're thinking back on that time where there was a significant moment where you said, you know what? I just need to give my life to you. I'm, I, I can't live this any longer the way I'm doing it. I'm so far out of where I know I should be. I'm in a foreign country. I'm in a faraway land. I'm not where I belong. And so in that time, eventually you said yes to Christ. So is this, I said that, is this, is this a parable for us today? Okay, those of you who are saying to yourselves, yes, that's the right answer. It is a parable for us today. Why is it? How is it a parable for us? It applies to us. It calls us to repentance. Repentance, remember we saw in our Romans, that it literally means a change of mind. So to be repentant, when, when, when we start that trail, uh, that trail journey with Jesus, he calls us to repentance, we say yes, but we have not arrived. There are continual steps of saying yes to Jesus. There are hills to climb, and we go, I think that's too steep for me. There are challenges ahead, and we think, I think that's too much for me. There are temptations along the side, and we're like, here's a roadside stop. Why don't we just stop here for quite a while? There are things like that that come into our lives, and we're tugging at the Lord's you know, cloak and saying, why don't we stop here? 
Why don't we rest here? Why do I have to go farther? And in those moments, there's a time where the Lord is telling us through this parable in other ways, it's time to change our mind. Calls us to repentance. Part of the reason, one of the things I, I you know, clear think, thing for each of us to know is when he calls us to repentance, he's inviting us into life. Fuller life in him. See, we see repentance almost as denying something, but it's actually, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to, to journey with him farther and to see the things that he has in store for us. If you're a regular reader of the lectionary, you know that the evening readings have been in, in Matthew and his version of the gospel, the rich ruler, Jesus says to him, you know, one thing you lack. When the man says, what, need, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He says, have you obeyed the commandments? Yes. Um, and he says, well, one thing, go sell all your possessions and come and follow me. And then you will have treasure in heaven. It says the man went away sad because he had great possessions. What is it in his mind when Jesus says treasure in heaven, something did not connect. Something didn't happen. As the British would say, the penny didn't drop so that they could truly understand, oh, when you say treasure in heaven, you mean treasure in heaven. I can't imagine what it actually is, but if you say, Jesus, that this is something that far exceeds anything I can imagine or have in my bank account, in my uh, land deeds, whatever his riches comprised of, if you say that the treasures in heaven are worth more than I have, so that selling everything would make perfect sense, and I'm saying no to that, I'm not repenting or turning around. There is something that I don't understand about what you're calling me to. And I would say that, that, that when we are talking about, when we find ourselves digging our heels into the way that God is calling us forward through his scripture, it's often because we think we don't understand what he has for us, or we have a love in this world, in this life, the, you know, the approval of others is a big thing, there's all kinds of different uh, categories that that could fall into, but it's oftentimes the approval of others or the good things in this life, the boastful pride of life, John calls it. There's a lot of things that, that would attract us, and, God's, and, and we don't possibly, we, we can't see beyond that. That's our love. And so when we talk about repentance in this context, Repenting from love to keep us from Christ. We're not talking about small confessions of sin. We all have those, I think, those things. Oh, I did that. I, I, I meant to be nicer to my spouse. I, I meant to be more charitable to my colleague, even though every time I'm in that meeting with them, they drive me crazy. You know, those are the kinds of things that are worth confessing. But we're talking about stuff that has to do with our affections, our deep-seated loves, those things that, like the rich young ruler, we're not sure if we want to turn, we don't want to give those up. But the Lord is saying, you, you know, give those up. We need to let go of those affections. They become habits, if we're really honest. That idea of something outside of Christ, something that's bigger than he is, something that's more important than following him, something that some uh, opportunity, quote-unquote, some temptation in what it is in reality, something that's bigger than that. And we say, well, if, if we're really honest with ourselves, we have to see, is that an affection I have? 
And it could be an, a legitimate uh, affection, a legitimate thing that God might want for us, but it's not the right time, it's not the right circumstance, it's not the right person, not the right organization. Too many compromises in order to get that. In which case, I'd have to say that isn't from the Lord. The Lord calls us and says, give up your affections. Anything that you hold that is more dear than I am to you. What is that? What is the habit that you have? Thing that, the place that you go to apart from Christ that gives you more meaning than he does, more uh, connection in some way, shape, or form. Until we're formed fully in Christ, we all have those. Sometimes they're in the places of not thinking as well of ourselves as Christ. Has all, he died to show us how, much, how loved we are, how precious we are, how valuable we are. And yet the, the accuser comes to us and he says, you're not loved, you're not valued. There's something, it's not just something you did wrong, it's something that's wrong with you. Not that you just did something that was a, a sin, legitimate sin, but it's just that you are fundamentally flawed. That's what's called shame. And we believe that. Satan literally means accuser. Too often, we are listening to that frequency because it's such a habit. We can punch that dial. You still have a radio that has dials that punch. We can punch that in. We punch that in on a regular basis. It's just our default playlist. And Jesus comes to us in the form of this parable and says, there's some habits of thought and perhaps of action that are need to be broken. How do we change that? I love, uh, if some of you have read, You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith. He talks about the way that habits form us. Sometimes the actions, if we're really honest, some of the things that we keep doing over and over again don't seem to be able to get control. They're just habits, habits of thought. They're second nature. And so he says this. He says, once we realize that we are creatures of habit, then we realize that temptation isn't just about bad ideas or wrong decisions. It's often a factor of deformation and wrongly ordered habits. In other words, our sins aren't just particular wrong actions or bad decisions, but they actually reflect vices. This ongoing pattern. Overcoming them requires more than just knowledge. It requires a rehabituation, a reformation of our loves. This is why tax collectors and prostitutes are no longer tax collectors and prostitutes because they've allowed the Lord and his gospel of love and his invitation. He's allowed the, the fact that they are socially excluded and moral outcasts to be invited into the, the presence of the king of kings. Like, whoa, yes, that's what I want. And so they are no longer what they once were because they've allowed the Lord to reform them by saying yes to him. And I think this parable shows each of us, and my prayer for each of us is that we would come to the Lord with a heart of, of openness. They would say, Lord, examine my heart. You know all ways. You know, you know the habits that I have, the ways of thinking about myself that are not of you, the things that I want that are not of you, the, things that, the ways I react that are not of you. And Lord, would you show me where these are habit as opposed to something like that, where they're habit. 
And you know what the Lord will do? Because he's he will reveal that. Psalm that was read, Psalm 25 says, we, the fact just reminds us that we have a loving father. David is saying, do not remember the sins of my youth or my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is right and teaches his way. We serve a Lord who has, can do far more than we can ask or imagine. He's far more interested in the things that we, in the life that we want that is full and is rich than we possibly are, who knows the only way to those things. And too often, we allow the habits that we have to hold us back. And so let us cheerfully surrender those and give them up. Let us ask the Lord to examine us and maybe in your small group so that we let nothing hinder, no sin that so easily entangles continue to interrupt us or slow us down as it once has. If we do that, we will find that what we love is no longer of this world, but is truly of the world that God has, the kingdom that he has, and the one that he will call us to soon.